Well, good evening once again. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles tonight, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes and chapter 1, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we're going to look at the, uh, the last sort of half of the chapter tonight, the last third of the chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given unto the sons of men to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness and folly, and I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you are what thrills our soul. And I pray that tonight we would go on the offensive and that we would examine the things that we find in the world and realize that those things are not the things that please our soul. Help us to understand, Lord, uh, those things that are evaluated here. I pray that we would see the point of the Word of God and I pray that we would learn from its lessons tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when I was around about eight or ten years old, uh, my grandfather gave me a book. And that book was just called Why. It was a white book. It was about that thick. And it said that it was basically the answer to most questions that inquisitive young people might have. You ever notice that children tend to ask a lot of questions? Yeah, you're too tired to answer, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> children tend to ask a lot of questions. And that's a good thing. That's actually one of the things that I really enjoy about parenting is the opportunity to teach, opportunity to, to share with kids things that they've never heard before. And you, you sound really smart, don't you? Just from being old. <laughs> but it's good to be able to teach. It's good to be able to help. Um, but there is a natural inquisitiveness there, isn't there? What I want to express to you tonight and what I think Solomon is trying to get across to us in this passage of Ecclesiastes is that that inquisitiveness into the nature of things, especially into the nature of human things, is not juvenile. It's human. It's not just related to children being inquisitive, but we as a human race are inquisitive about why things happen, how things work. We're interested in these sorts of things. And that's what I think what Solomon is trying to say in verses 12 and 13. He says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. Solomon wanted to find out understand all things that are done under heaven and last time we saw that expression is one of the keys to understanding the book of ecclesiastes that idea of under heaven 
is speaking about life without God. The natural life upon this earth, the way that things are playing out. Without divine intervention, I suppose we could say. Solomon says, I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. It's not just all things under heaven, but he's looking at, at works. He's looking at really human works, actions of humans. Or if we would really try and define it um, in a short way, we might say he's looking into the human condition. He's trying to examine what it's like to be a human being, examine what it's like to be uh, experiencing things that humans experience, what, it's, uh, what the actions of human beings are like when they're expressed one towards another. This is the um, adventure that Solomon sets off to understand. I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. Those words seek and search out are quite picturesque. Um, if you imagine seeking is examining, it's looking at something in depth which you have in your possession, whereas searching out would be looking after the things that you haven't got yet, but you're looking for them. And so we might um, express those two words as I examine and I explore. I'm looking at the things that I've got and I'm looking at the things that I don't have to find out even more. And so Solomon set his heart to do an in-depth study with the microscope and the telescope, if you want to put it that way, into the things that he views upon the earth. And he sought to do that by wisdom. I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. He wanted to do it with thinking, not just going through the motions, not just looking lightheartedly at things, but he wanted to do it by wisdom to truly understand the things that were going on made me think it's, it's a good thing for us to be like this it's a good thing for us to be thoughtful about our lives have you ever felt like you just wake up on monday morning and go to work because work's where you work and you go to your home because home's where you live and you go to your job because that's the job you've always had um, but you don't actually think why am i going to my job uh, is my family, am I enjoying my family like I should be enjoying my family? And when I get in this car to drive it home, what am I actually doing? I'm traveling at 100 kilometers on a road here, I could die very, very easily. Oftentimes we go through life and we don't think. We just do. And that's what uh, we call the rat race. Uh, we're so involved in the life that we're living, we don't stick our heads up for a bit of air and a bit of perspective. And so Solomon sought to understand the things that people do, the works of humans or the human condition by wisdom, with a bit of thinking about it. This makes us a little bit different to animals, doesn't it? It helps us to understand this is the way that God has made us. He's made us to think about ourselves. We're one of the few creatures that can think about how we think. We can examine the way that we think. That's uh, metacognition. And we often do that. We often examine our thought processes. And it's a good thing to do. Solomon's point is not just that he was going into this quest. But he goes on to express also that other people, or in fact humans in general, are quite inquisitive about this. 
We all exercise ourselves in this quest for understanding what it's like to be human and how humans interact with each other, what life is like under the heavens. And his conclusion is that that quest, that search for knowledge is not a joyful thing. He says, this sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. The quest to understand our lives is a sore travail. It's a hard work, an unpleasant labor. One commentator said this, said, because the attainment and result gained by the laborious effort are of so unsatisfactory a nature. We look and try and understand why people treat each other the way they do. We look and try and understand why we made the mistakes we made. Even we might look and try and understand why we were kind to another person and realize that some of those motives, motives were actually quite selfish. When we look into our own human behavior, when we look into other people's human behavior, what it's like to be a human, oftentimes we're very unsatisfied by what we find. We see bad things. This verse tells us that God hath given to the sons of man to be exercised with this. Now, I don't think that this was a gift that God gave us at creation, but something that he permitted for humans and something that he gave to us through the curse, through the fall, that we should be aware of just how hard and just how much we have lost in this life that we live under heaven. God did not intend life to be the way that it is. Do you think that God intended unfallen people to walk around looking at the world thinking, wow, what a depressing place to live in. <laughs> what horrible people that we walk around this earth with. No, the thoughts of unfallen man in the garden would not have been a sore travail. That would have been a joyful meditation, thinking about what God has given to us, the grace even the image of God in ourselves, it would have been a wonderful thought to think about the way that people interact with each other, whether families or our interaction with God, would have been a joyful thing to try by wisdom to understand the human condition. But the fact that it is a sore travail shows that this is not what we were created for. The fact that by trying to understand how people treat each other, what it's like to be a human, the fact that it is hard sort of proves to us that we are square pegs trying to fit into a round hole. We're not happy with the world in which we live. We find problems with it all over the place. We feel injustice. We feel ripped off. We feel unsatisfied. We feel unappreciated. And it shows to us that we have a desire for a world, for a life that this world cannot provide. So why was it a grievous quest to understand by wisdom the life we live under heaven? Well, to split it up into two parts. First of all, Solomon was vexed by the works that he saw. In verse 14, we read, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. 
Now that statement sort of just rolls off the tongue. We're, we're quite used to uh, that statement there in Ecclesiastes. But just note for a moment, Solomon says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. What a claim. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon claimed a great experience and perhaps there has not been someone with the opportunity to experience as much as Solomon did, both by wisdom and by riches. But with that vast experience of all of the works that were done under the sun, Solomon came to the conclusion that all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Vanity is that idea of emptiness. Vexation of spirit is an interesting term. It's talking about trouble or irritation of the spirit. But if you look at that Hebrew word translated vexation, it's literally a grasping after or a chasing. A vexation of spirit or an irritation of spirit that is produced because we're chasing the wind. (laughs) Chasing after things that we can't attain to, things that are like spirit that we can't get. Why did Solomon find all of the works that are done under the sun to be vanity and vexation of spirit? Well, he tells us in verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be made straight. and That which is wanting cannot be numbered. Now, the optimist in our world would disagree with that statement, wouldn't they? No, no, some crooked things can be made straight. You go into a doctor's surgery and see them heal a broken bone. Some wounds are healed that way. A dry cleaner presses a shirt that used to be wrinkled is now straight. Crinkled things can be made straight. A bricklayer can plumb a wall and it can be a straight wall and no longer crooked. Sometimes crooked things are made straight. A missing tooth can be replaced. A stolen car can be reimbursed. And so we see these things happening around us quite often. The crooked things are sometimes made straight. That which is wanting or that which is missing can be sometimes supplied. But the point that Solomon is trying to make here is how much energy is expended in trying to straighten, replace, mend, heal, organize, tidy, weed, all of those things that we spend our time and energy doing, to what end are those things done? One commentator said this, and I thought it was very good. The problem is that after a man has done his utmost, there will remain anomalies that baffle him to explain. A sense of incompleteness which nothing he can attempt will remove. Let him prosecute his investigations ever so widely and vigorously. There always will be more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in his philosophy. Enigmas he cannot solve. Antinomies he cannot reconcile. Defects he cannot fill up. Things that cannot be fixed despite much effort being placed into them. Now, I think if we apply present philosophy and present understanding, what I think Solomon is pressed by in these verses is the second law of thermodynamics. I think Solomon is pressed by the idea of entropy. So much energy goes into straightening and yet it becomes crooked again. So much energy goes into replacing and yet the holes reappear. 
You can't fix the things that are all crooked in this world. You can't fix the things that are all missing in this world. Disorder increases naturally. We see it all around us. Physically, things turn to chaos. Emotionally, things turn to chaos. Even spiritually, things turn to chaos under heaven. We are dismayed at this. We would have to agree with Solomon that this causes us great pain to feel these sorts of things going wrong and to feel helpless to fix all of these problems. Now, it's not natural to us who are made in God's image for all of these problems to be around. It's not normal. It's not what we were made for. And it troubles us because our origin is not imperfection. We are not made out of imperfection. We are made from the image of God. And God wants to bring us back to that. This is the solution. This is the essence of what um, Solomon's problem needs to be answered by. He never goes to this length in the book of Ecclesiastes, but there is a solution. And that solution is salvation. Salvation. Salvation, we often think about, is my sins forgiven. God has taken away the penalty of my sin. But that's just the start of salvation. Salvation starts with sins forgiven and it ends with sins removed. Sins completely fixed and dissolved. If you have a look at Luke chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, we have included for us here an explanation of salvation's effects. Luke chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. This is a description of what is to happen from the coming of the forerunner to Christ, which is John the Baptist, all the way to the completion of the ministry of the Messiah. Luke chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And that is what John the Baptist did, isn't it? He prepared the way of the Lord through the preaching of repentance so that Jesus Christ could come and preach the gospel. But let's look at the full effect of that salvation which was coming. Verses 5 and 6. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. See, this picture is a wonderful picture of when salvation is finished. When all of the suffering is over and when God ushers us into eternity so that we can see the finished product of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. No more punishment for sin, yes, but no more curse. No more human condition like we know it, but a perfect life. So if you find it a sore travail to consider the works in this world, if you find it frustrating to be working against the laws that are going in the opposite direction, then just remember God desires something better for us. The reason we are so troubled by it is because we don't belong here. God never intended for it to be this way. And praise the Lord, it won't always be this way. So Solomon was first of all vexed 
by works. Secondly, he was vexed by wisdom. And he says some pretty head-scratching things in this next, step, in this next um, portion. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. In verse 16, Solomon tells us that he was well equipped to contrast wisdom with madness and folly. Solomon had come to great estate of wisdom and more than all of those who were before him. I want you to turn with me back to 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read about the time when Solomon received the gift from God, the gift of wisdom, because it is a special kind of wisdom that Solomon was given. First Kings chapter three, verses five, and we're going to read through to 13. First Kings three, five in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. That's a good dream, isn't it? Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, thou hast showed unto thy servant, David, my father, great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, and thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to, come out, how to go out or come in. Basically, he's saying there, I don't know how to act like a king. Don't know how to look after these people. Verse 8, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and has not asked for thyself long life, neither has asked riches for thyself, nor asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honour, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. We read here about the kind of wisdom that Solomon was given. In other places, we read that Solomon had a good understanding of the creation. He knew about animals and husbandry. He knew about plants and the way that they interacted and crop cycles and things like that. But here, at the giving of the gift, we find that Solomon's wisdom is not just a wisdom of facts. Solomon's wisdom is specifically a kind of wisdom that is used in judgment, in leading a people and in discerning between right and wrong and the motives of one person and another person. Ever been in a situation where two people give you their point of view and they both sound right? 
but they contradict each other. And you've got to figure out now which one is right. <laughs> which direction are we going to go? Solomon asked for the wisdom to make the right choice. To see right in a difficult situation. To try and discern the motives of people. To try and interpret people accurately. To weigh up the pros and cons effectively and to make decisions on people's behalves. And so Solomon asked for a people-related wisdom, didn't he? He wanted to understand what people were like, how, how people ticked and how to lead them effectively. He knew what it was like to be wise. Not only did he inherit that wisdom, but he also had experience in using it. Solomon tells us that he had great experience in wisdom because he had a chance to live his life with that wisdom of God in practice. And he got to see people and how people reacted, how people responded. Solomon knew how to discern wise from fool. He knew how to tell which person was thinking right and which person was thinking wrong. I'm not saying he had perfect judgment, but he was smarter than all who came before and all who came after, except for the one who came from heaven. And Solomon, with that wisdom, both by gift and by experience, he deduced that wisdom itself was a vexation of spirit. Why? <laughs> Isn't it infinitely better to be wise than to be a fool? We would say yes, and we would also say that the scriptures seem to teach that, don't they? The whole book of Proverbs talks about the superiority of wisdom over folly. But in verse 18, Solomon gives us one reason why wisdom is a problem. He says, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. It is a sad fact that the more we understand about people, the more we understand about their interactions, their thoughts, the more we are grieved. Especially when those thoughts and actions are isolated to being thoughts under the heaven not thoughts influenced from heaven, if you get what I'm saying. The fact that in much wisdom is much grief tells us something about human thinking, doesn't it? It tells us that it's bad. It tells us that people are disturbing to understand. In much wisdom is much grief. It tells us about life on earth without God and it makes us appreciate that statement that people often say ignorance is bliss <laughs> ignorance is bliss sometimes when you don't see the animosity the wickedness the hatred I'd come across a few news articles before and it reminded me of them when I was doing study for this message um, a number of news outlets had reluctantly <laughs> been willing to publish stories about increased depression related to exposure to negative news stories uh, and how we often expose ourselves to a lot more world events than people in history used to. Uh, now I know the suffering of people in Africa. Now I know the slave trade that's going on through Indonesia and parts of Asia. Facts that my grandfather and great-grandfather didn't know. 
and with more wisdom comes sorrow. We're increased in our sadness. Increased exposure to social media, that thing that's meant to be fun and uh, light-hearted. <laughs> There's been a number of studies done that the level of social media use is often reflected in the level of depression. And oftentimes, um, some experts in those studies have suggested that that's because of the exposure to more and more information going on in other people's lives and the thoughts that are going on inside other people's heads. Do you know if the world was inherently good, these things would not be true. Increased wisdom would not bring increased sorrow. It would be a good thing for us to have an increased media filter, uh, an increased media net around the world to bring us information. That wouldn't be a bad thing because the human race would be a lovely thing and we would love to get wonderful stories about all the good things that are happening around the world. Is that what's happening? No. The world is fallen. The world is selfish. Which means that wisdom brings pain. Now, it's not better for us to be a fool than to be wise. And Solomon does not make that claim. All he says is that there is a problem with wisdom in this fallen world. And that is the more you understand, the more you know about, the more it hurts you. A lie might be an easier way to handle a situation, but it is always better to know the truth of a situation, even though a lie might be nicer. It's always better to know the truth particularly spiritual truth. I think one of the most obvious examples of this is the truth of judgment and the truth of hell. We know from the scriptures that many, many people, God talks about proportions when he speaks about the way that leads to hell and destruction and the way that leads to life. And the one that leads to hell is much wider and the gate much larger than the one that leads to life. We know that many people who live in this world, many people that we love, many people that we know are going to end up in hell. And with that understanding, with that knowledge comes pain because we know the faces of some of the people who are going to go to hell. Now, would it be better for us? Would it be nicer for us to not know about hell? Well, in the present, probably yes probably would be better today for me to not have to think about my unsaved family and friends having to go to hell. But is it better for me to be ignorant than to know the truth? No, it's not. Because the day that my family and friends set foot outside of this world, it would have been far better for me to be witnessing to them for their whole life to tell them the truth that they were going to walk into at the end of this life. With wisdom and understanding comes pain, but it's always better to know the truth especially the truth from God's word. Solomon's words here should teach us something about wisdom. And that is that wisdom and knowledge are not enough. We ought not look at wisdom and knowledge as the answer to our problems. Perfect understanding, perfect wisdom, these things are not going to bring us happiness in a fallen world. They can't. All we do is see the disturbing truth. Being wiser won't bring you peace. 
even knowing more answers from the Bible, won't bring you peace. Having a better education won't bring you peace. Because with more wisdom, with more knowledge, comes pain. Knowing more then won't make you happier. Irrespective of your intelligence, irrespective of how much you understand people, irrespective of how much spiritual insight you have or don't have, it's a relationship that will bring you peace. And that is why wise people and unintelligent people can have a wonderful walk with their God and joy. It's not dependent on intellect. It's not dependent on how much you know about this world. Even how much you know about the world to come, it's dependent upon who you know and the God that you have a relationship with. It is the link to the person outside this cursed world. That's what brings us joy. John chapter 17 and verse 3 says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, just in closing, um, I did, when I studied at university, we looked in chemistry at open versus closed systems. Am I giving some high school students some nightmares here, thinking about things you have to face this week at school? Open versus closed systems. An open system is where variables can impact the system from outside. A closed system is where the variables are controlled and the system responds within that environment. If you think about this world as a closed system, the world under heaven, there is no hope here. There's nothing you can turn to. Wisdom is not it. Looking throughout the world for the good of humanity in works is not it. There is no peace. The only peace that we can have here upon the earth is if we open this system to reach out beyond the heavens and have a relationship with our God. It's only then that we can be enlightened and live here in peace. It's only then that we can have joy. There is nothing here that can bring you what you want. And so Solomon sinks another nail into the coffin when it comes to this world. Just another reason why we ought not live and love the things that we find here. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that the word of God can show us, uh, Lord, the vanity of the things that we find all around us. Help us not to think that philosophy or wisdom or any of those things is going to bring us joy, for only you can bring us joy. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to see our greatest good in you, and Lord, help us to avail ourselves of that relationship. Help us to be humble. Help us to be as little children, Lord, willing to walk with you in whatever capacity we are. And we thank you for it. We pray now that you would bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen.